the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Scarlett Rachitsky, who is the executive director of Silence, an independent music and live performance venue, plus an art gallery. It's places like Silence that make the cultural scene here in Guelph, especially on the music side. It's not going to attract big shows because you can only get about 75 people inside their max But it's one of those places that guarantees experiences that you can't find anywhere else. And performers who aren't big now, but they could be tomorrow. It's just the kind of place that culture is made of. And it's just the kind of place that would serve as the basis, or one of the bases, for a tourist-friendly designation of Guelph like Music City. But as we move through these post-pandemic times, what role does silence play in making Guelph culturally relevant? What role do they want to play? That is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. You may recall that City Council passed the new culture plan last week, which, quote, articulates a long-term municipal and community strategy to stabilize and advance arts, heritage, and creative industry in Guelph, unquote. The thing that prompted the creation of this plan goes beyond just the need to protect and expand the arts and culture sector in Guelph, and the issues affecting that sector specifically are a microcosm of the issues facing many sectors here in the Royal City. The plan mentions a lack of affordable exhibition and performance space, the limited representation and opportunities for equity-deserving community members, and the difficulties attracting community support and audiences. These are definitely issues, but these are also three boxes that silence was built to check. And despite the COVID-19 pandemic and its challenges, silence is still checking those boxes. Silence has been around for 11 years now. In the fall of 2012, it was founded to provide an outlet for the presentation and creation of new, creative, and non-idiomatic music in the fields of improvisation, electroacoustics, post-rock, jazz, chamber music, computer music, noise, ambient, sound art, and more. Based on Essex Street, Silence is close to downtown, but it's also off the beaten track. Things were firing pretty well on all cylinders, and then COVID-19 happened. It might be understandable if Silence had just disappeared like other establishments, some of them much older than Silence, but Silence continues to endure with all manner of music and events, and now they've launched a monthly subscription campaign called Vow of Silence to generate some of that elusive sustainability going forward. So is Silence proof that there's life after the pandemic in the cultural sector, or are they just luckier than others? That's one of the questions that Scarlett Rachitsky will talk about on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. Rachitsky will talk about the history of silence, why it does the things it does, and their role in the cultural landscape of Guelph. We also talk about how silence weathered the pandemic, balancing artistic growth and the audience desire to just see a good show, and the ways that silence is supported to meet those two goals. And finally, we will discuss being just outside the downtown, the effect of government plans to enhance local culture, and what the short and long-term plans for silence look like. So I caught up with Scarlett Rachitsky last week via Zoom.
Okay, Scarlett Rachinsky, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, to start with, why don't you uh, tell us uh, or answer this, like maybe the most essential question, the simplest question, what is silence? How do you describe silence to people when you're talking about uh, what you do? What is silence? <laughs> I would describe silence as a community-engaged music venue art gallery um, and community space that's interested in providing um, low barrier access to space and support for artistic endeavors um, and specifically uh, dedicated to supporting experimental music and creative new music um, as well as, yeah, I think continuously developing um, to, to fit whatever it is that the community needs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. I want to unpack that a bit so, you know, maybe people who aren't uh, in the culture sort of get it. When, when you talk about experimental music, uh, mm -hmm. what do you what do you mean? Great question. I mean, I think it can uh, span <laughs> a lot of different definitions. Um, primarily, I think we're interested in um, creative improv specifically. So spontaneous composition, which means, you know, people come into the space not necessarily knowing what is going to happen, um, the audience or the musicians. Um, so that's something we really like to foster is, is um, uh, kind of this uh, exchange between musicians of listening and performing. Um, it also involves the audience. Um, that's something we're super interested in. Experimental music, I think broadly means pretty much anything, um, but really trying to push the boundaries of what music is and can be for people um and kind of getting rid of some of the um structure that is necessary in other um that might be necessary in other venues so mm. um experimental music is not the most popular always type of music and there are very few places i think dedicated to presenting it so um that's why it's an important part of what we do and when you say um emerging artists like who, who like what kind of artist is emerging? You know, at what point in a career is someone an emerging artist? That's a great question also. An emerging artist, I guess to me, um, in this economy, <laughs> artist, which is sad. Uh, I mean, emerging artists, I guess, we try to support folks who are, you know, early on in their music careers. So younger artists for sure. Um, but we also support exper like experienced career artists as well, touring artists. Um, we kind of run the gamut. Uh, there's definitely a focus on, um, you know, independent artists without representation. Um, so, you know, bands that aren't necessarily signed to any major labels, um, but I do think that we we definitely present kind of all levels and represent all levels of, of um, artistic careers. There are people who, you know, exclusively do music for a living that will perform here. And there are people who have a band with their brother that performs here once, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not necessarily like, I, I don't know... Uh pull a popular band out of my hat you know bare naked ladies but uh if the bare naked ladies wanted to like do try try their hand at bluegrass maybe then they're they're an emerging artist <laughs> yeah sure why not <laughs> why not indeed and and he, here's the other thing i kind of want some clarification on when you talk about how silence is low barrier um mm -hmm. for access what does that mean 
yeah so for for from an audience perspective any show that is presented by silence um so that does not include rentals necessarily like if someone's renting the space they kind of get to determine um, the parameters of, of ticketing. But if there's a show or a program that's presented by silence, um, it will always have a pay what you can or no one turned away for lack of funds policy. Mm. So me, as an audience member, as a community member, um, we never want f- financial reasons to be a barrier to access for you to engage with the music scene, to come see a show. Um, we'd rather have you in the space. Um, and so that's something that's really important to us and has been a part of our mandate since, well, as long as I've been around and I think as long as silence has been around. Um, and then from an artist and musician's perspective, um, and a community organizer's perspective, we try to keep our rental rates super, super low for what we offer, which, you know, we have, we try to keep our production value high. So, um, having, you know, access to high quality equipment um, and the necessary equipment to make things sound good, um, as well as support from staff and volunteers for event planning and event implementation. Um, We try to keep our rental rates super low. And then we also offer um, kind of, we try to base all of our funding models um, artists first. So anytime there's like a commission or a door split, the higher percentage is going to go to the artist versus the venue. Okay, perfect. And is that something you think that, and maybe this is a self-evident answer, but you know, is that something that sort of sets silence apart in, when we're looking at the cultural landscape of Guelph? If you go to someplace like Onyx or the, the concert theater and you're going to see a big band, the, the point is they're trying to pack in as many people and, and collect as, as many ticket sales as possible. The goal with silence is to, like, the, the play is the thing, to borrow a phrase, or the, the performance is the thing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think um, something that's unique about silence is, like, the intimacy level of the mm. venue. Certainly that the focus is on the music. Because we're not, um, you know a bar or a restaurant, for example, um, people aren't coming to just hang out and talk or like meet their friends necessarily, which can be to our detriment. <laughs> but um, it means that when you go to see a show at Silence, people are generally there to see the show specifically. And so you get much like a much more focused audience, I think. Um, I don't want to say that it sets us completely apart from other Um, promoters in those spaces I think a lot of promoters in the city are trying to also put artists first and that's the goal that they're working with Um, but certainly I would say like you know we are a nonprofit organization and we are trying to um, yeah I guess provide a service um, that is music and artist centric Um, Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. Um, what's the occupancy of silence speaking of intimate? Yeah. So <laughs> I would say, so our, our actual occupancy is 75. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a tight 75. Um, <laughs> and, and that would be a kind of standing room only. Um, and seated it's about 70, but it's a squishy 70. So I would say comfortably, if you want to have a seated show at silence, you're looking more in the 60, 65 realm. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> <what's>, yes, <sir. laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, I, I, I was curious because uh, I, I knew it was, um, it, it was small. 
Um, because you know, you walk by the building on Essex Street. Um, you know, it it you know, it's sort of squished between, you know, industrial places and houses and it's a residential area. It, you know, it, it doesn't exactly stand out. That's mm. not that's not a criticism. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it, it's what I find interesting is that it's part of you know, I don't I can't remember exactly the downtown boundary is like technically speaking in terms of like official plans and things, but it's kind of part of that downtown diaspora, if you will. But mm. it's 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 a little bit apart too. But I'm curious about, you know, how, you know, sort of things, you know, that creating that sort of cultural space downtown sort of affects you. And is that something you, as, as the executive director, worry about in terms of like where you fit in with the, the greater cultural area of like, let's say specifically downtown Guelph or is you know, silence kind of on its own island and, and you're kind of masters of your own destiny? Great question. Um, I think... Certainly there are drawbacks to being a little bit outside of downtown. Um, you know, we do tend to um, have folks come in and say, you know, I've lived here, I've lived in this city and I've, I've never heard of this space because they, they don't walk past it every day. Um, and then there are other folks that walk past it every day and they finally come in and see what's going on and are really excited to discover something in their neighborhood um, that is so unique. So it, it is, it is, I think it's, it's nice sometimes to be off the beaten path, but it does sometimes mean um, it's a little bit harder for people to find us and you kind mm -hmm. of have to be intentional about finding us. Um, mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting because it's, it's not central. It's off the beaten path, as you're saying. The whole mission statement is like, we're not doing, you know, we're not doing the mainstream stuff. We are explicitly, not only are we literally off the beaten path, we're explicitly doing stuff in terms of shows that are off the beaten path. Um, mm -hmm. So does that like, I, I guess from a business point of view, and I'm not saying it's, it's all about the, as we were talking about the money making, but you know, everything you, you know, silence does is kind of a gamble, isn't it? Like you, 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 you're, you're doing programming that again if you book a big band you kind of know there's a fan base for that and they're going to come in and then people are you know, people generally want a night out and if they recognize the band's name that's one thing but you're you have specifically set about yourself the goal of doing things people may not have heard of and if people are showing up they're gambling on something they're gambling that it's going to be worth their time and that they're going to enjoy it um which makes silence itself and its mission statement feel like kind of a gamble every single night you're you're open right <laughs> right i guess yeah yes and no i think um there's definitely an element of risk taking that we are trying to foster in our audiences and in our in our programming and i guess that inevitably means with ourselves as well um but i see it more as like filling kind of a niche um uh, that doesn't get necessarily represented elsewhere and uh, providing a service for people that don't necessarily get to access those same spaces. Um, you know, whether that be a, an extremely experimental band or, you know, just a brand new band, um, you know, a younger band that maybe won't get hired to play at your local bar, but can put on a show here and draw a crowd, um, whether it's through their friends and family or, you know, just, uh, 
people coming in to see what's going on. I see what you mean. I think um, there's definitely an element of risk, but I do see it as kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, providing that kind of uh, liminal space for, <laughs> for, for people who don't necessarily fit um, every other into every other uh, space that is that is accessible because there is an audience that's like i like the risk i like that i can go to silence six times and hear six different things and maybe i like five of them and maybe the sixth one wasn't so great but um yeah you know the audience your audience can be sort of seen as gamblers too in that respect i definitely think so i think um people who are People who I've spoken to who are really interested in improvisational music, I think an element of the like an element of the excitement of it is that um, it's not always going to work. Like there's there's a level <laughs> of difference and and um, there is that kind of like give and take in an experimental setting where um, you get to kind of fail or. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm or succeed differently. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think, I think you have, you have an open mind when you come to certain programming at silence. Um, like one of the programs that we have been running now um, here is the audio pollination Guelph, which is based on a program in Toronto, audio pollination um, where people sign up and are paired together um, to perform spontaneous mm. uh, compositions so you may have never met the person before um the instrumentation matchups might not make sense maybe it's you know two drummers and a vocalist or maybe it's a saxophone player and a guitarist um and that's maybe not something we've seen before in in concert with each other um and i think yeah there there is an element of being able to say that you're seeing something that's never been done before and something that will probably never be replicated again which is (laughs) yeah no and people are kind of looking for those experiences and not just sort of like in music you know coming out of the pandemic you know it's not just that people want to get out and about again it's that people want to see things i mean it you can i think this point is kind of always made you can if you want to listen to music you can always sit at home and listen to music you know put on a record or a cd or spotify or whatever but Mm -hmm. um you have to offer something more if you're going out live as and and something more I think also means not just seeing the band live and in person, although there is a difference in sort of, you know, when you hear a mu- music being played live and the venue can have an impact, but the the experience is unique. You can have the same artist on three different nights and see three different shows. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, something that I've noticed at silence is like the nature of the venue, the intimacy of the venue seems to bring out a different, um, side to artists like there's more interaction with the audience because it's <laughs> you don't really have a choice um, and people tend to let their walls fall down a little bit at silence maybe it's because of the nature of the audience um, the openness of the audience but I find there's like often more storytelling more background information about songs and how things came to be um, there's like di- a different a different flavor of like audience interaction and banter um during a performance at silence than you know maybe say the danforth music hall in toronto or mm. something like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I want to look at this sort of in, from the, I guess, the post-pandemic side, as it were. I know that's kind of a loaded term. Um, how long have you been the executive director of Silence now? I've been here for about five years, just over five years. So you know sort of what it was like before the pandemic and and trying to rebuild post-pandemic. So let's start with before. Um mm. What were the biggest challenges you were dealing with before the pandemic when like silence was kind of chugging along and you had the relative assurance that there wasn't going to be a lockdown tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I think what's interesting for me, my perspective is that I really feel like I was kind of just starting to get a handle on the job before <laughs> the pandemic happened. And then the pandemic happened and my role kind of shifted with it. Um and then, so now I'm kind of relearning. Um, so a lot of the challenges are are similar, um, you know, figuring out how to connect um, with audiences, getting enough people out to shows, especially for those kind of unknown or lesser known artists, um, encouraging audience members um, to take those risks that we talked about. Um, and like, uh volunteer retention getting you know as a nonprofit organization um funding is always up in the air it can be um and uh finding sustainable uh support whether that be through funding or through um people power volunteers um that can be a challenge so um yeah and then i guess just like uh it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to run a music venue <laughs> um, and to run a music venue that, you know, is nonprofit that has these specific focuses. Um, and that's also, you know, trying to be as much as it can be um, as much of the time as it can be. It's, it's a big challenge um, in itself. Uh, rewarding, but mm -hmm. yeah, certainly, certainly challenging. <laughs> The reason I, I, I'm kind of trying to get to the bottom of this, the reason why I wanted to talk to you is that there's been a lot of, you know, uh, discussion out there. Um, and it's mm -hmm. in Guelph and it's it's in different places because, you know, we're all kind of facing the same uh, dilemmas, uh, no matter where we are post, again, loaded term post pandemic. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, what does the cultural landscape look like? How do we get venues back on their feet? How do we open spaces um, that may have shuttered during the pandemic? And, and you know, your mission is unique because you're, you're mm -hmm. focused kind of exclusively on those emerging talents, the people who have trouble finding big stages to play on or people who are just starting out and don't have a stage to play on. So in, when, when, you know, you hear whether it's politicians or consultants or whatever talking about, you know, building back that, that cultural landscape, do you feel like you need their help or um, do you feel like maybe your, your needs are so unique that, you know, the help they're offering doesn't necessarily apply to you? Mm. Absolutely. We need their help. I okay. think, I think, um, I think there should be, more spaces like silence in most cities. Um, I think, um, yeah, municipal, provincial, federal support for artistic spaces that allow people to explore and experiment um, is super important. Um, and I think something that we try to foster at silence is this like 
Um, and I speak about this every chance I get. So forgive me if everybody has heard me talk about this. But we try to foster this sense of like a third space. So, you know, a space outside of work and um, uh, family life, home life, um, mm. where you don't necessarily have to actively be spending a bunch of money. You can connect um, with other people in your community. You can connect to something kind of outside of you, whether that's, you know, through volunteering or maybe music is super spiritual for you. Um, maybe performing is spiritual for you. Maybe attending is spiritual for you. Um, so creating that kind of third space that is like really um, about a lot more than just music or entertainment. It is also about um, community well-being and, um, and, you know, nurturing that spiritual side of you and connecting to others and something greater than yourself. So um, I definitely think that is within a city and a province and a country's best interest to support um, and we could totally <laughs> benefit <laughs> from that kind of support um, for sure. Is that like, you know, are you talking about like, like funding or are you talking about just like having, you know, ways that you, not necessarily the financial, but like having those pipelines to maybe stable volunteers or people who might be interested in offering um, sort of sustainable funding uh, not necessarily from the government, but I mean, like sort of private sources, people are looking for somewhere that they can support um, promotions. Y you know, mm -hmm. what, what does that look like? What does that help look like? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think um, there's something to be said about supporting the folks that are doing the work already, which is why I think I'm passionate about, um, about, you know, municipal and provincial and federal support for existing organizations. Um, and so oftentimes that does look like funding. Um, I think promotion as well is a big, um, is a big help, uh, you know, supporting centralized uh, promotional um, like events, listings like music lives, for example. Right. Um, super important for a city i think um like even myself as a you know as a consumer of music and art it can be difficult to find out what's going on in the city because there's not like there's not necessarily one place to look um i think music lives is doing a great job with what it <laughs> with, with what resources they have yeah. um and is definitely kind of the archetype that um should be supported because it's it's a really um, great resource for folks to to access those um, the information I guess about events going on in the city, um, but it is specifically about music. So city wise, there could be more done to promote local events and encourage folks to um, access those spaces. Um, Funding big mean one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I, I completely get about the promotion. Um, it feels like there's kind of like no way, one way to do that. Like I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Echo. I'm old enough to have written for Echo too. But you know, that used to be, you know, it used to be on, you know, a dozen newsstands within like a ten minute walk of each other. Right. And you're just, you know, you'd grab it and maybe you'd go to, you know, to the coffee shop and sit down and you'd flip through it. But they had like the massive event section in yeah. the back, and it just like nothing, in so much as like the internet makes it that kind of information 
theoretically more available we're missing that sort of like one-stop shop like nothing has sort of come in to replace that yeah it can be a really big job to especially for a place like silence that's you know running you know 10 to 20 to 30 events a month depending on the month um to try and access all the different ways of promoting a show to hopefully catch the right people right like Mm. um if you're trying to poster and you're trying to um, post on the right online circles, you're posting on, you know, 12, 13, 15, 20 different places to try and reach different audiences. Um, So yeah, some way of centralizing that um, in a, in a successful way is I think really important. And like I said, I think is, is the closest the closest we have and that we should be really thankful for is the work being done by Music Lives because that's the vision there is let's have a central place where everybody can go to figure out where to see live music in Guelph. Um, but obviously there's a level of support that needs to go into something like that to make it um, accessible for everyone and to make it sustainable for the people organizing it. I think something that gets left out of the conversation a lot when it comes to funding arts and culture um, is funding the systems and the people that Mm. do organizing. So the operating funding, which is really hard to find um, for nonprofits. um, And then obviously I think for even for for for-profit promoters, it can be difficult to access kind of funding that specifically will take care of some of that administrative work that goes into putting on shows. And that's always kind of like the afterthought too, right? It's, you know, the for for a lot of people, yeah, you want to promote the shows, but you know, you're also working on the music that you're playing in the shows. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's like a miss, a misrepresentation sometimes of like promoters of being these people who are trying to make money off of bands. When most of the promoters I know, are like not getting paid to do what they're doing and they're doing so much work to make these shows happen um and that's like independent promoters who you know might make a couple bucks on it so that they can pay for their next show but um and then also people promoting within organizations like silence um i think it yeah it's there's a there's a lot of unseen invisible labor that goes into those shows as well and because those people care so much about making sure that artists get paid too um it can it, it can go unnoticed and underpaid <laughs> that right way. right i cut you off a couple of times so i i, I want to go back to just the, the funding piece for a minute because you know silence is trying something new which is this vow of silence which is great branding mm-hmm. you know kind of do this like monthly donation sort of subscription model um mm-hmm. is is has that been helping like has there been a good reception to something like that yeah um i think our 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 understanding of it is that it will be more of a marathon rather than a sprint and it's a constant engagement with our with our supporters with our donors um with our new audience members trying to get folks to involve and i know it can be difficult um as for for myself speaking from my own personal experience it can be difficult to commit to a monthly um expense because a lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck um in you know this era this economy (laughs) (laughs) um so i can understand why that that can be a challenge um but at the same time i feel like we're very used to a monthly subscription model 
um, when it comes to accessing entertainment, whether that be through, you know, your Spotify subscription, your Netflix right. subscription. Um, and so I think there's a bit of a mental game there where you can say, oh, well, why wouldn't I also want to support on the same level some, some you know, brick and mortar grass ground like physical place that's doing some of the work that I appreciate in my community. So I think that's where we were going with it. Um, and we've seen definitely some, some, some uh, level of, of engagement there that's been super helpful and promising to us because I think, yeah, that consistency um, is really helpful for an organization to be able to say, okay, well, we can rely on this level of support each month um, really helps with, you know, budgeting and, projecting um what we're able to do yeah with that money right and c c consistency is a big piece of it. i know this from my own sort of you know being an independent media source independently funded by people who care to fund mm -hmm. it uh the consistency consistency is a big piece of it <laughs> um the other big piece of it though is that you know and this has come up in in council and talking about like the cultural plan and the you know affordable housing it is it it's it's kind of all connected that mm. you know the affordability crisis the housing crisis that hits on the level you know you deal with like the artists that hits them first you know in order to be an emerging artist you have to be able to um put a lot of time effort and energy into your art which means you know maybe you're doing something part-time little hard to live in Guelph if you're working part-time yeah. and I'm, I'm wondering how big of a concern is that given your audience the people you support uh Guelph isn't an easy place to live right now if you're someone who is uh is is let's say not doing things for the money <laughs> yeah no it is a, it's a, it is a big concern I mean I think at the same time people really need to turn to the things that make them happy. And so there yeah. are a lot of folks still really engaged, um, you know, with their hobbies. And I think, you know, that's a very important part of, <laughs> of recovering from and preventing burnout is, you know, uh, activating those parts of yourself that aren't related to your work. But I do think that's something that um, also is impacting our, our audiences, right? Like we're seeing, I think across the board and when I talk to other promoters and other folks putting on events in the city, whether they're music events or, or not, there's, I think an overall decline in people coming out to shows, coming out to events. Um, and we, you know, we can attribute that to a number of things. There's, you know, a safety element when it comes to the pandemic, there's uh, you know, just a level of comfort when it comes to the pandemic, people got really used to just, staying at home and accessing things from from home um but then there's also this element of like people are really tired because a lot of people are working two jobs or three jobs or overtime um and people don't necessarily want to spend their one day off going out and spending money they'd rather stay home and you know watch a movie um which i can really i can i can empathize with and i get that and that that's a that's a tricky thing and so i think um Building that, um, well, one, accessibility for events is really important so that people can can come out and experience things um, no matter what their socioeconomic outlook looks like. Right. Um, two, um, 
Oh, I had a I had a train of thought and I've lost it and then started a machine. Um, <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, but There's I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, no. And that's, you know, the, the pay what you can model is, is kind of a piece with that, that, you know, you, um, you, you know, that this isn't the ticket price. And, you know, we could say a lot about, you know, the big uh, concert events and, you know, having to go through Ticketmaster and all their extra fees and all that. Is it something, yeah. some, something, you know, nice about, you know, going to a venue and pulling out a five or $10 bill and just putting it in a, the, the kettle and, <laughs> and then yeah. you can have a nice night out. <laughs> I know, and I think I think that I was talking with someone recently about this. Uh, how, how, um, like, if you really change, try to focus your perspective on the fact that, like, you can come to a place like Silence or like a show at like Upbeat Guitar Studio. You can go and you can pay what you can. You can pay ten bucks to see three bands, meet your friends, have a great night, like have a really unique experience. Um, Versus, like, a lot of people are are very, very comfortable spending upwards of, you know, $500, $1,000 to sit in a stadium with 30,000 other people having the exact same experience that the people last night had. Right. Um, I'm not, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. I've, <laughs> I do that, too. I like to see big artists. It's a fun experience in itself. But, like, to see that for a fraction of that cost, you can also have these really wonderful experiences and support, like, your local music scene i think is a, an important thing that um that i hope people will continue to engage with and and engage with more as as um things uh continue but yeah i don't know you made a point you made a good point when you're saying like people it is expensive to live in guelph and that that can really harm these kinds of spaces because mm. there are less people who who can afford to come see shows, but there are also less people maybe who can afford to live in a city who would want to go to, you know, a pay what you can show um, three new bands because the people living here maybe can afford those $500 tickets. It's true. But, but, you know, having said that, maybe we can wrap up just, if you can talk just generally about like what what do you think the future of silence looks like because you know i get the email blast it seems like there's always something new going on and and you know it's chugging along despite the challenges yes i think the demand for a space like silence the the love and respect for spaces like silence from the people who do come and who do love like experience the things that happen here um is is kind of unwavering and that's great and i think from an artist musician perspective we've never had more emails coming in saying can i play in your space can i play your space like the demand for that is huge um and that has i think yeah only increased over the last couple of years so the future of silence i think is is just really relying on on community support and and doing the work of engaging with our community to make sure that we're um, meeting the needs and the desires that the people who want to access the space um, want to experience, um, but still maintaining that support for you know kind of the fringe and the um, the the risk takers and the 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 off beaten path. And I think we've seen with audio pollination that there's 
there's a huge desire to participate in that and to be invited into a space um, kind of as a peer and as a as as an equal and get to um, we you know kind of merge blur the lines between audience and performer which is something that I think silence does really well mm-hmm and uh, I, like I said it's chugging along so uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know you you and everybody there are clearly doing something right uh, but for now you know Scarlett Rochinsky thank you so much for your time today and uh, keep up keep up the good work thank you so much <laughs> And once again, that was Scarlett Rachitsky. Coming up at Silence in the near future is Mooch with Still Sound on Thursday, November 2nd, and Ursa, a folk musical in concert on Saturday, November 11th. That one's at 7.30 p.m. The next show in the gallery is Eve by Zoe Daughtry, and the opening reception is this Saturday, November 4th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. For all upcoming Silence events or to learn more about how you can get involved and support Silence, you can go to their website at silencesounds.ca. And that is it for this week's edition of the podcast. We hope you liked it. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Source's Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, you can check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.